The last few weeks we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to continue to do that this morning. And uh, the, uh, the first few weeks we've been looking at, this is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing it from prison. Uh, he's writing it after a number of years of traveling and ministering all sort of through Asia here. There it is, all through Asia. And so he's writing to the church at Ephesus, which is sort of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, um, but he himself is in prison at this time. And at, at one point, I think it was in his third, third time through Ephesus when he was travelling, he ended up staying there for like three years. And he hung out with them for three years and just taught and built and built and encouraged and, and then went on his way again. But um, Paul, while he was there, um, if you want to read all of the fantastic kingdom um, dynamics that were taking place when Paul was there in Ephesus. You've got to go to Acts um, 18, 19, 20, 21. All sort of through there, you get the, the backstory of what was actually going on when Paul was in Ephesus. And so um, Ephesus, uh, like I've said before, it was a, it was a, a, pl- a central place of um, commerce and spiritual power and political power in the Roman Empire at that time. And, and it was a place that had a lot of politics. It was a place that had a lot of spirituality. And the big spirituality that was on the ground at the time was the worship of um, Artemis or, or Diana, Diana is another word for it. And, um, and so there was a, a lot of um, temple worship based around Artemis. And then Paul comes along and he starts preaching this new gospel, this new good news message to the people of of Ephesus, and it's the gospel of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so now he's writing to the Ephesians to remind them, to say, hey guys, girls, stay on track. Don't let context, don't let culture, don't let all these spiritual dynamics and powers um, take you off course. Hang tight with this. And um, and he reminds them, and we've been reading Ephesians 1.10 about how it was God has revealed the intentions of his mystery and his will in Jesus, and that through Jesus, God is bringing, has brought, and continues to bring, and will ultimately bring all things together in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth, the whole deal. God is bringing, he's, through Jesus, and, and the life, death, ministry, uh, life, ministry, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus all of the fractures, all of the brokenness, all of the separation issues, God is resolved through Jesus. And so this is God's big mission plan. This is God's big vision. This is what God's always been about. And this is what God's still doing today, is he's bringing everything together under heaven and on earth together in the person of Jesus. So the good news of the gospel is not give your life to Jesus so you can go to heaven, The good news of the gospel is God is bringing heaven and earth together through his son, Jesus Christ, and he's restoring all things and bringing it all together. Now, Paul does say it's very important in Romans. Actually, he says, actually, if you want to enter into the reality of what God is doing, then by faith, it's a good idea to make an acknowledgement and a confession of that, that Jesus actually is Lord. He's bringing all things together. And that by faith, we then enter into 
this great work of God, this great mission of God that is bringing all things together in heaven and on earth. And so we looked at, if that's God's big mission plan and big work, and we looked at that, then we also looked at this, Ephesians 2.10, which was, well, what's my place? What's my purpose? What's my, where do I fit on the big map of what God's doing with heaven and earth being restored? Well, the big, the big part that we all get to play is that we get to be God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, please don't read that like, God has made me to be a good person. That's not what the scripture says there. Unfortunately, we want to read sort of, you know, behavior management programs over and lenses over this. So, no, you've been created to do good works. And the, the good works is to be the workmanship or to be the creative purpose and person that God has made you and you alone to be in the earth even as you reflect his good rule from heaven. So, like you know, we looked at Van Gogh's artwork and how Van Gogh, could, in his artwork, it was very colourful, it was very dynamic, it was very um, amazing, and his art was one-off type stuff. And same with you. You are God's workmanship. You are God's one-off piece of artwork for the sake of the world the best thing that you could ever do is be you. Be you for the sake of the world because of Jesus, okay? And so God's the good work that we have to do or for, I have to do is for me to be Kirk, loved by God, lover of my wife and loving to as many people as I can along the way just by being me. Just by being me. Hey, do you ever know like sometimes when you walk into a room or someone walks into a room and you, you get a sense of like, wow, that person, they, when they walk into a room, they, the atmosphere changes a bit or it goes from being heavy to light or it goes from being hopeless to hope filled or it goes, you know, oh, there's a sense of like, Oh, the anxiety left the room when that person walked in. There's a sense of optimism and hope that just came with that person in the room. Well, they're just being who they are as image bearers of God, being his workmanship created in the reality of Jesus as he's bringing heaven and earth back together again for the sake of the world. That's who you and I are. We're just being God's workmanship. Now, through that, yes, through that, in the economy and the ways of God's kingdom, there is another way of living, and we'll talk about that a bit this morning. There is a transforming reality that comes with that. There is a new set of kingdom lifestyle and ethics and thinkings and understandings about uh, resources and economies and stewardship and understanding about... Um, our identity and our sexuality and our flesh and all of these things, they now come under this incredible workmanship of God that's give, meant to give life and reflect the kingdom of God and invite people into the rule and reign of Jesus. Now, so we did Ephesians 2.10 and then last week we did Ephesians 3.10, which was, it was God's intent that now through the church, through the people of Jesus, through this great big group of collective, colourful, unique, one-of-a-kind, in Christ Jesus people, as they do life together, 
the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. The manifold, or the, it literally means the very colourful wisdom of God. The very colourful, dynamic, life-giving um, reality of God flows through this group of Jesus people in the earth. This is his intent through the earth, and it would upset the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, what we do together by being this wonderful workmanship of God is there is a spiritual reality going on as, he as the heavens and the earth are connected because good Jewish people, good, good Hebrew people, they, they, they didn't have the problem that we Greeks, we Westerners had. They didn't see as earth here, big gap, heaven there. They didn't think like that. When they read, read and wrote the scriptures, they understood that God was, the heavens and the earth in God are fully grafted and connected. So to speak of the heavens is to speak of an impact that they have in the earth. To speak of the things that we do in the earth, they have impact in the heavens. There's this corresponding dynamic interplay. And so when we be the manifold wisdom of God, the very colourful idea of God, you are the very colourful idea of God. The wisest thing was his intent was to dis display his wisdom by making you and what you, how you and I live on earth affects what's going on in the heavens. And in the heavens, we have this, these rulers, these authorities and powers that are at work seeking to oppose the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Now, this is a big mouthful, and it's a big picture and a big canvas I'm painting, isn't it? But it's really, really important that you get a hold of this stuff. That's why I'm kind of laboring it a little more each week, so that you, you start to think like this. You start to, when you approach the Scriptures, see this sort of stuff. So that now through the church, we would be this display. Um, now, the church is the people, the collective, the, the Jesus people in the earth. And, um, and you can see what happens when Jesus' people get together. What happens is things get stirred up in the spirit and those spiritual dynamics affect people who have positions of influence and power in the earth. And sometimes we see that come, come as persecution to Christians, both more so particularly in um, um, other, other nations, in, in um um, closed nations, nations that are closed and have dictators that are closed to the message of the good news of the gospel. That's why the church has to go underground. So if you go to places like China, Vietnam, Laos, not so much Cambodia anymore, but still, still at work there. Um, you, if you go into these places, um, the church is driven underground so people have to meet in hiding. They have to meet in small groups. And that's, that's because the authorities and the powers, the, those that are, are being affected by them, they see the church as a threat. They see the Jesus people as a threat. And so they have to drive them underground to try and get rid of them. But in fact, what they're doing by driving them underground is they're actually making a declaration, the very opposite thing that they want. They're saying, we want to try and rid the world of this, but as they're doing that, what they're saying is, we have to do this because their Jesus is, in fact, Lord. They are powerful and they are a threat to us, and so we have to drive them underground. It's incredible dynamic when you get your head around that one. 
But today, I want to pick up on Ephesians 3, and it's this verses 14 through to 21. So Paul here, he's painted the big vision and mission of God. He's showed us what our unique, beautiful place is in that big vision and mission of God. He's now made a declaration that it's actually the Jesus people together walking this out that then advances God's purposes in the earth as it is in the heavens. And now he comes to this amazing place and this place of prayer. So um, if you've got your Bible, um, grab it open. If, if not, it's on the screen there. And verses 14 through 19, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Note that. Note that. Where is God's family? In heaven and on earth. Again, it's this coming together picture. It's this in Jesus. It all holds together. Um, where we derive our name from. And I, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a bit of a mouthful, but we'll unpack it in a minute. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide. Now, just let me underline something there for a second. Together with all the saints. Together with all the saints. Now, he's writing to the people who are now in Christ Jesus. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus, baptized has made a declaration that God has now given me a new creation identity. I am now coming alive. I am now, as Paul would say, consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So we have gone from being sinners to saints. So we're no longer sinners who occasionally saint. We're actually saints who occasionally sin. There's been a transference, there's been a switch, there's been a, a, a transition that's taken place here. So Paul's writing to the saints. He's writing to those who have given their lives to Christ, considered themselves dead to sin and alive to God. They're the saints of God. They're the Jesus people. He's writing to them. To grasp how wide. Because the reason I just poke at that one is because we, we, we often run around when we do dumb stuff or we sin and we automatically flick into the mode of, oh, I'm such a terrible sinner. Well, no, you're not. You're a saint who's terribly sinning. Okay? In Christ. Because you've got a new resurrected, new created, new identity in God that you're coming alive to. It's, an, it's a new way of life. That's why Peter calls it. We haven't walked this way before. It's a new way of living. It's like, oh, it's a new way to see and understand ourselves. To grasp, I'm praying that you have power, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the fullness of God. Might be filled to the fullness of God. Now, we see in Paul here, he takes up, if this is the God mission and vision, and this is our place in it, and the importance of the church and, and, um, and the, in terms of seeing the kingdom and the gospel advanced in the earth, Paul takes the highest functionality of kingdom office right in this place. 
He gets on his knees. This is what apostles do. This is what leaders of leaders in the kingdom of God do. This is what people who understand the power of prayer do. They get on their knees before the Father. Now, often, you know, the world sees prayer as futile. About the only time that prayer might get a positive spin is, for example, when tragedy happens. And we see, for example, yesterday, the Prime Minister is on television, the Australian Prime Minister, saying it would be good for all Australians to say a small prayer for the young boy, seven-year-old boy, who's now missing in Barcelona after the terrorist attack in Barcelona. Okay, so we see, we do see sometimes the world go, well, yeah, say a little prayer. But, but don't, don't get on your knees, don't be passionate, don't rend your heart, don't open yourself up to the reality that, oh God, we really need you in a moment like this. No, just say a little prayer, okay? There's, there's a futility in terms of how the world views prayer. Um, the church often sees prayer as an activity. Oh, that's just something we do. Well, I've got to do it. I've got to pray. Unfortunately, that's robbing ourselves of life as well, that mentality and that approach to prayer. The enemy, the enemy views prayer as powerful. <laughs> the enemy runs scared when the people of the kingdom pray because when the people of the kingdom pray, we're invoking the powers of the heavens into the earth and seeking for the kingdom to crush the work of the enemy so that people might come into the good news of Jesus. Um, we see people get set free from sickness. We get set, people set free from addiction. We see people get set, set free from all forms of brokenness and so forth when we pray, and the enemy hates that. That's why he's busy running around trying to rob, kill, and cheat, and destroy, and lie. And the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, sees prayer as the fruit of a relationship where heaven and earth meet in Jesus in us. In us. Now, if you, if you, if you just go, if I could, that's that little bit of scripture there, that five verses there, I took a three-minute read of that, and these are the ten things I found about prayer in that. Ten things. About why? Prayer, it's family business. That's what Jesus' people do. They pray. Prayer brings us together into the glorious riches of our Father's resources and grace. How do we access that? Through prayer. By faith through prayer. We kneel before our Father. Prayer releases the supernatural strength and power by the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, fill us. Use us. Anoint us. Grace us. Break into this circumstance and situation right now. Prayer builds a dwelling place for God to reside. Prayer roots us deep into the love of God. Prayer establishes us on the love of God. Prayer releases the power of the Spirit to change and transform our inner being. Prayer brings our collective hearts together. Prayer reflects how well we have grasped, just how big and rich and generous is our God in Jesus. And prayer brings us into the fullness of God. Now, that, that took me about three minutes. This is why Paul says the highest, most powerful, most effective thing that we can do in partnering with God is be a people who get on our knees and pray. Why? Because of all of that that <laughs> I've just listed. You're seeing a situation where there's not enough resource and grace? 
Get on your knees and go before the glorious, our glorious Father whose, whose treasure house and storehouse is generous and overflowing. Do you need to see people set free from supernatural dynamics that are oppressing and holding them in captive? Get on your knees and ask for the supernatural strength and power of the Holy Spirit to come. Feel like God is not nearby? Prayer builds a dwelling place for God. Prayer says, God, I want you here more than anything. These are just, this is why Paul says, I pray. So my question to us is, why do we pray? Or how are we approaching prayer? That was just a little side note. But the one thing I want to pick up on there is, I want to, the last one there is, I want to talk about the fullness of God in a minute. <clears throat> when it comes to this idea of Paul is trying to paint this picture in, the book, in his letter to the Ephesians that heaven and earth are joined together in Jesus Christ. God is restoring and uniting all things back to himself in Jesus Christ. As he's bringing it all back together and giving people and humanity an invitation to flourish and have life and fullness and joy and purpose and meaning in all of those things by being actually being who they're meant to be as image bearers of God. In all of this, Paul is saying to us that there is a transformation that is available for all people. And my goodness, isn't there a lot of people in our culture right now who are wanting transformation? There is a lot of people, and they're going to pretty... There's, there's, there's a group of people in our culture and context who are going to really extreme lengths and I'm, you know, to transform themselves from where they are and because of various reasons are seeking to change themselves so they could be something else in the hope of having a better life. And people will augment their bodies to do that. People will take drugs to augment their bodies to do that. People will do all sorts of things in the hope that I can transition myself out of where I am and into something else, a preferred humanity. Well, Paul's saying this is what God does for every single person. He brings them into the fullness of what it means to actually be a fruitful, joy, life-filled human being in Jesus. Now, he says we're going to need help to understand that. And so God doesn't leave us on our own when it comes to the change that takes place. Or we can see things about ourselves where we go, I don't really like that about who I am. And I, I would like to see God change this about who I am, be it my character, be it my thinking, be it my um, choices and activities. In all of those things, God is helping us with the power of his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, we read that as individuals, and that's right to do, because God is doing a unique work in you, even as he is in me, in our inner life. But the, 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 where he says strengthen you, that word you right there is plural. In other words, he's speaking, he's saying, I'm praying that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you, you, Jesus people, 
you collectively. I'm praying that God would strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your life, your, your life together in him, the inner workings of what it means to have relationship as people living together under King Jesus. I'm praying that the power of the spirit would help the inner workings of all of that come together. We need help for that. And so he uses this word strength, which means to grow strong or to make strong. There's a good reference to give you some understanding of that word where um, Luke writes in Luke chapter 1 about John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was born, he uses this phrase. This is just before Jesus is born. He uses this phrase. He says, and the child, it should just say one child, the child grew and became strong in spirit. In other words, he, he went from being a baby that couldn't move until he got strength and then he could crawl and then once he grew some more, he got some more strength and he could balance himself and then he could walk and then he could run and then he, was, he became a man. But the idea is God is saying, uh, uh, Paul is saying, hey, church, there is a power available to the people of Jesus in the earth as they, as they reflect heaven into the earth that, will, um, that can grow in you, in your life together in God. I, I take great joy, although my, my youngest daughter now, she's 13, she's in with the crew down the end there, with the Jive Up crew this morning. Did you see how many of them there are this morning? There's like about 20 of them down there. Anyway, um, they're all down there having a great time with God and getting encouraged. But the, she's 13 now, and the other week she's also training, you know, in athletics as well. And, and for the, she says to me the other week, she says, Dad, can we go for a ride and then we'll run? I said, yep, righto, no worries. Because normally I, I can just sort of back off and I can set the pace and it's like, yep, I can keep with her. But the other week when we went out for a run, for the first time, all of a sudden, I was struggling to keep pace with her because her training over the last couple of months and months, six months or so, all of a sudden she's growing in strength and capacity. And I, whereas once I was like, you know, only having to half stretch myself, I was at full pace trying to keep up with her and she was at half pace. But she's growing in strength and stature. And this is what it's like as the people of Jesus. God's spirit will help us to grow and manifest the reality of who he's made us to be. And we'll get stronger and more unashamed about that and more joy-filled about being who we actually are as human beings in the goodness of God. And we're going to live that very colourfully. So, I, you know, my nephew, I made a terrible mistake this last week. My nephew, he's a personal trainer. He's 19, nearly 20. And he said, he's been at Nicole and I saying, hey, you need to come and I'll give you and Auntie Nicole a free workout. And I, I, held, I held it off as long as I could. But anyway, we, we booked in and we went last Thursday morning to work out with Cam. And Cammy, he's, he's like... 6'5 or something or other. He's a tall young guy and he's strong. He looks like he's all timber, but he's strong. Anyway, I said, well, what are we going to do today, Cam? He says, we're going to start on legs, Uncle Kirk. I went, oh, okay. So anyway, Nicole and I, we do this 45-minute workout session with, with Cammy, and basically we had to be trundled to the car 
to get home. And thank goodness I was driving an automatic. I couldn't have pushed the clutch in if I'd had, if I'd had a clutch there on my left leg. But anyway, and then, so come Friday, I couldn't move. <laughs> and and, I'm, and uh, yesterday was just terrible as well. I still look like I'm walking on a horse. But anyway, just got off a horse. But anyway, Cameron, he's like, come on, Uncle Kirk, you can do this. And so he loads up all the weights on the, on the leg lifter thing. I can't remember it. <laughs> and it's working, it's working these ones, your thighs, you know. And I'm like kicking away and he's going, Uncle Kirk, that's too easy for you. And so he throws, you know, another 20 kg on. He says, let's go, Uncle Kirk, lift that up. I'm like, Ugh. And, and I'm hurting. I'm hurting that. By this point, I'm moaning and groaning. But he's like, come on, Uncle Kirk, you can do this. We want you to get strong. This is what it takes. This is what it's like. This is what it means to grow in the things of the power of the Spirit as the people of Jesus coming alive into our true identity in Jesus Christ. It's this growing reality where we partner with God and we're going to get stretched sometimes. We're going to get to places where, oh, that's, that's uncomfortable. That's awkward. That's odd. That's, I, I'm not sure I'm liking this, but God is given to strengthening us like, like the child who grew and became strong in spirit, talking about John the Baptist, but Paul here talking about the people of Jesus. God wants his church to be a strong church, that we might be a people who were once weak with our thinking, who were once carnal with our thinking, but now in Christ we've come alive and the mind of Jesus now wants to take authority in our, in our thinkings. And we actually start to approach, approach people through the mind of Christ. We see them like he sees them. That was a word this morning that came during the worship. We see them as he sees them. So we see ourselves as, as he sees us. We, we come in, our thinking becomes inspired and given over to the lordship of Jesus. Our body and our flesh, all of the hunger and our, you know, the desires of our flesh and our body, that too has now been given over to the lordship of Jesus. And so once where our body was hungering after, whether it's, um, you know, um, addiction issues of any kind or sexual habits that rob you of life, or and in fact, he goes on, he gets pretty detailed in Ephesians 5. He says, basically, stop fornicating, will you? He gets into, you know, just that personal space. He gets in your space. He says, stop doing that. You're new, you're new creations in God. Come alive into that. And, and he's, he's talking about once we were like this, we had these struggles, but now our body and our flesh is given over so that it reflects the glory of God. So that people look at us as Jesus people and they say, you know what, I don't... I don't have to live under the power of that sexual addiction or that sexual identity that's been holding me captive for so long. There's another way. Yes, there is. It's the Jesus way. It's the Jesus way. Um, our choices, what we do with our finance, how we use, used to use people in relationships, but now we actually choose to want to bless and honour them. We grow in strength. We become a new person in Jesus um, and all of this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in, 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 in the Ephesians context in which Paul was originally writing, he's living in, they were living in a very pagan context, and at that time it was a case of what you would do is you would, you would take on the character and the identity of, say, a, 
either a god or someone influential in, in politics or someone in political or, or public life and you would esteem them or they might be great athletes or something or other and you'd look at their character and you'd go, I want to be like him and then you, or her and then you'd spend your whole life burning yourself out trying to be like them because you see virtues there and you go, I want to be like that. And this is going on too for the follower of Jesus. But we don't have to work at being virtuous on our own efforts because now the Spirit of God says, here, let me fill you with the life of Jesus and let his virtuous ways and power become your ways and power in this life. It's a new way of doing life. Thank God for that. Oh, seriously, man, I like... Thank God for that. You know, you don't have to be someone else. You can actually stop looking at other people and going, if only I was like them. Thank God I don't have to be like you. I mean that in the best way because I can't do it. There's some, there's some virtues about you guys and you, guys and you women in this place that are, in a, that are amazing reflections of the manifold wisdom of God. And I look at that and I look at what you do in worship and I look at how you... you what you do with your vocations and your lives and your parenting and stuff. And I go, oh, my God, they're so awesome at that. And I can celebrate that, but, I, but, I, but then I can go, Holy Spirit, can you help me? Can you do a work in me like you've done in them that I might be like that? And we, we rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank goodness for that. It, but there is a life of transformation. And this... This transformation is a given when it comes to being restored to God in Jesus Christ. It's a given. Now, the other thing that Paul uses here is he uses this funny little phrase at the end of his prayer where he says that you might be filled to the, full, to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, that's pretty... I'm like, what is that? <laughs> what does that mean, to be filled to the full measure of God? I mean, yes, God's really big. Um, like I'm, I'm just trying to like get an idea of that. What what does that actually mean? Well, <clears throat> this this um, Paul's Paul's no um, he's very deliberate about the words he uses. Okay, if I could say it like that. So Paul here, when he's saying the full measure of God, he's actually bringing with him the long story of Israel as he's writing. Okay, remember. Week one, I said, when Paul's writing his letter, he's bringing with him the whole story of the history of God and the earth with his people. And he's bringing that long story of Israel with him. Now, if there's one thing that God said he wanted to do was to reveal and himself and bless the world by being the God who walked with the people of Israel. And that's why Moses had such a heartache when God said, oh, that's it, I've had enough <laughs> in Exodus 33. I, I, I can't be near you people anymore. And Moses cries out, he says, please don't go. We're, we're not going anywhere because without you, we're no one. So there, there is in this, uh, the, the history of the long story of God through the Old Testament, the people of Israel were supposed to be and were at times this picture of heaven and earth connecting as a gift to the world through the fulfillment of Abraham's promise, promise of Abraham. And so the idea of, like, so here they are, they're out in the desert 
following God. They've been set free from Egypt's rule and reign. They've come out from under that, and they're now under the reign of God, going through the desert. And what does God want to do? God wants to be with them. God wants to meet with them. God wants to be intimate and close with them. He wants to walk with them. And so eventually he says, build me a tabernacle. Build me a big tent. And if you look in Exodus chapter 40, let me quickly grab this for you. They get busy. They build God a big tent, a tabernacle. And there's all this detail in Exodus chapter 40 about what has to go into the tent and where it has to stand and what it all means and it's all of its function. But at the very end of um, Exodus chapter 40, remembering that God has been leading them by a visual cloud during the day and a visual pillar of fire in the cloud at night. That was the standout marker that God's with us. And, but God wants to not just be with them, he wants to be with them. He doesn't want to just be over them, he wants to be among them. Remember Genesis, Adam and Eve, and they walked together with God in the cool of the day? See, God's bringing all this back together again. And so here in Exodus 40, God sets up this big tent, this big um, tabernacle or tent of meeting. And the idea is that God would then come and inhabit the tent. So listen, verse 34 of Exodus, uh, Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now get this. It was so... I mean, you guys were singing this this morning. Like, show us your glory. Now, let me just read what happens when people cry that stuff out. Hold on. Put your seatbelt on. Good move. Put your seatbelt on. Moses, it says, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. It was so overwhelmingly, God was so overwhelmingly present and connected and joined and restored with his people. Moses was like, this is like so much. I've cried out for this, but this is too intense. And actually, later on, way, 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 way down the track in New Testament times, when, when, the, um, when the people still had to go and the Jewish people still had to go and make offerings every year, the priest, one priest would go into the very center of the tent or the tabernacle or the temple at that time, called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, he, and you know what they would do? They would put a rope around his ankle before he went in because they weren't sure if he was going to come out alive. And so literally it was like, we're just going to put this on you just in case because we know how just overwhelming it really is to be in the presence of our God. And just in case you die when you're in there, it's so overwhelming, we'll drag you out. <laughs> This, this is what it's like. If you read anything, the start of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 11, uh, where he goes in before God and he's like, ah, the glory of the Lord turns up and he's like, I, I, I'm from a sinful people, have nothing to do with me. And then the kindness of God touches his lips and says, sin is forgiven. You can be near me. Exodus 40, it's amazing. 
in all of the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud didn't move, didn't lift, they didn't set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel during all of their travels. So there was an external sign to the world that says, God is with these people. And if you go inside that tent, you will encounter the fullness of the presence of the living God, the one who is leading these people through the earth. Pretty amazing story, that. Flick over a little bit there and you get into 1 Kings. And this is where um, Solomon has built the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let me read it here. 1 Kings chapter 8. So they've built this fantastic temple for God. I mean, it is the finest of the finest. If I had a pic- I should have got a picture up there for you to look at. But it is stuff is covered in gold. It is just ornate. It's amazing. It's full on. And they're about to bring the Ark of the Covenant in and let it have its place in the temple. And if you read all through that uh, in 1 Kings 8, all of a sudden, again, God fills the temple. At the dedication of the temple, God comes and makes residency in the temple. You can read all about it there. Now, obviously things didn't go super well for Israel during all of their time and under their kings. And, and then they find themselves in a, in a time of being um, exiled. And so the, the greatest tragedy about being exiled was the loss of the temple. Why? Because the temple was where heaven and earth met. Because the temple, it wasn't it wasn't like stepping into it as if, oh yeah, it's as if I'm stepping into heaven. No, 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 no. It is you are stepping into heaven in meeting with God in the temple. And so that was the greatest tragedy of all of this. They lost the temple. And because they lost the temple, there were people who felt like heaven and earth had been like, fractured and they couldn't be the people of God in the earth because to be the people of God meant to be a heaven and earth people and so that's why they were in exile and while they're in exile this prophetic hope rises up the prophets come along and say hang in there turn back to God God is going to come again God is going to fill his temple God is going to return to Zion the prophetic hope and you can read about that in Isaiah 52 or and then Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2 is a really awesome one because Habakkuk 2 says this. He says, For the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the water covers the sea. So th- such was the prophetic hope. It was going to be a time where the temple, even the temple in all its fullness where God would reside, would no longer be enough. This thing of God, it's going to break forth. And it's going to cover the whole earth. The glory of God is going to cover the whole earth. Can you? So this is in Paul as he's writing, hey, church, hey, people of Jesus. Because what he goes on to really say here is that you and me together as the, the heaven and earth people, we are now the new temple. We are now the new temple in Jesus Christ. So what that means is, 
Remember that, uh, just that word fullness, to fill to the full. Get a cup, fill it till it is full, where there's no more space for anything else to go in it. We, we the people of Jesus, are the, we are the filled to the full people of the presence of the living God. The cause of God, that, he, that the good news of the gospel would go forth into all of the world, is going to abound through people. It's not going to limp. It's not going to limp through people like you and me. It's going to abound by the mere fact that we are united in Jesus Christ as a, as a new creation, resurrected in Jesus Christ. By the mere fact that we have relationship with God like that, we reflect the gospel and the good news and we release the kingdom of God into the earth. And to bring it to pass and to make it known and to accomplish. This, this idea of fullness, this whole idea of God wants to be with us and in fact, he is in Jesus Christ. So what astounds me, and I've found this in seasons in my own life, is where I, I'm busy running around having a good whinge, and I use words like this. Oh, God, I feel empty. Well, how can that be? I can feel empty, but am I? If I'm in Jesus Christ, am I empty? Yes or no? No, I'm not. Now, I might feel empty. And I might even have a whole spiritual audience around me working very hard to try and tell me I'm empty. But if I'm in Jesus Christ, the fullness of the full measure of God is in me. And not just in me. Through me. Bless you. Now there is scriptural precedent for the filling and the ongoing and the infilling and the continual being refilled by the person of the Spirit. There is that. But you, 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 you can't get any more of heaven and I can't get any more of heaven into me right now than Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who brings all things together unto himself. These are, these are big leaps that we have to make. Because if we can get them here with the help of the Holy Spirit, then our actions will flow from that place as well. So that when we turn up to pray for someone who's sick, how are we arriving? As the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we are arriving filled to the full for the sake of that person. We are arriving filled to the full for that circumstance to receive the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. So we lack nothing. We have everything that we need in Jesus. Now, Paul, I'm going to finish with this. Paul finishes this whole section here. I know I've kind of pushed us a little more um, this, this week with our thinking and stuff, but just to finish with this. <clears throat> now, if you, want to, if you want to do a lot more study on this stuff, there's a wonderful theologian that um, 
I've been doing a lot of study on lately, and I've really enjoyed his work. And it's it's N.T. Wright. You can go and you can go and um, check him out and get a, get a hold of that stuff. He's written a whole series of good books. But anyway, he's a great guy. Really enjoyed some of his work, and he's really been pressing some of my buttons on these things. But anyway, um, just that was a little side note. Just to finish with here, Paul says at the end of this. Remember, this is why he's, he's been kneeling in prayer the whole time. See, for you and I, he's saying, hey, church, for you to really get this understanding that you are filled to the full in the lordship of Jesus Christ, that you lack for nothing in God, and that you actually um, are an incredible workmanship of God for the sake of the world and the glory of God, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you would be strengthened by the Spirit so you could come into, into the life of that, into the fullness of that. And it's not just theory. And it's not just talk. But it's actually the way you live your daily life. He says this when he finishes his prayer. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. If God can bring all of heaven and earth back together and forgive the sin of the world through Jesus Christ and, res- and is, has already commenced the new creation both now and soon coming. If he can do all of that in Jesus Christ and if he can put us on that, in that map, on that work, in that work where we find our true identity and our true purpose in life to flourish as a human being that reflects the goodness of God as a gift to the world, it's going to blow our mind because it's Im- often it is immeasurably more than we could imagine. It's immeasurably more. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be, and this is really cool, he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In other words, what God has done in Jesus Christ, God is now doing through the church, bringing the good news of the gospel, of the kingdom of God into the earth, even as it is in the heavens in Jesus Christ. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his great power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Glory in the church. He's saying, you know, he's bringing with him all of that imagery of like the temple, the tabernacle, the presence of God, the fullness of the fullness of the full measure of God is among us, is among us. And I think Neil might have mentioned it this morning from up the front before we worshipped about about there's nothing now stopping stopping us from being able to engage with the presence of God. The sin has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. And by faith now we can say thank you and come into the fullness of the presence of the living God. There's nothing, there's nothing. I think there was someone else that prayed something else too down those lines. You know, this this is really, really exciting stuff if, if, if we can give ourselves over to it. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe we can. So let's um, let's stand and pray. Let's stand and pray. Um. Hmm.
Father, I thank you for your incredible love for us and that you have um, dealt with sin and you have forgiven us and you have made a way for us to be able to walk our every day and our every breath in your good presence. And I thank you, Jesus, as the first resurrected one who lives forevermore and conquered death. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way for us to know what it means to have a a truly human life in the goodness of God. And I ask for that for all of us, Lord. Lord, we do heed the words of Paul. He said, by the power of the Spirit, you'd be strengthened to know this. So Holy Spirit, would you bring an empowering now, an empowering, a strengthening to grow us, to grow us and make us strong in who we are in you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. We're not asking you to come from outside the building because you're already among us. We're just asking that you would assert your love over us when we pray those words. Come, Holy Spirit. God, where there's need for transformation in the room right now, we welcome you to bring that. Be it in our mind, be it in our body, be it in our, in our choices and activities. God, we ask, change us by the power of your spirit and bring us alive, fully alive in you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's people in here this morning that need healing. There's people, um, and there's also, I I put that last slide, well, that slide back up there about prayer because I feel like there's there's folk in here who are going, you know what, I I have a fairly prayerless life, but I want that thing, like, stoked up again with the help of God (laughs) so that I can do the smartest thing that I could ever do and be like the Apostle Paul and just be a person who gets on my knees before my father from whom I derive my name and I get my identity and purpose and that I can move in the power of the spirit through prayer I feel like God wants to just bring the life of prayer rouse that up in you again again 